Hey, what a perfect song to start this series. Uh, what a great thought uh, that we want to think about this God who did miracles as we read in the scriptures to, to really say we, we want to believe that you still are at work like that today, that you still can work like that in our lives. And in the, in the gospel accounts, in the four accounts of Jesus' life, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, there are 34 miracles told that Jesus did. And in the book of John, which we're going to focus on for this month, there are seven specific miracles, four that are unique to John. And we're going to spend the next month looking at uh, one of those each week as it leads up to Easter Sunday and John's final miracle, the resurrection of Jesus himself. But what's special about looking at these miracles through John is that John is, he's writing a little bit later than the other gospel writers. And so he's, he's trying to do something uh, significant more than tell about what happened. He's telling why it happened. He wants something to happen in your life. So I want you to know this kind of going into it. When John wrote these words, he wanted something to happen. He wanted you to believe. He wanted your faith to increase. In fact, he comes right out and says at the end of the book, he says, uh, in verse 31 of chapter 20, he says, but these, things, uh, uh, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. He says, everything I wrote in here, all these stories I tell, all these opportunities for you to hear these things, I want you to know I wrote these things so that you would believe, your faith would increase, that you would trust in this Jesus, that you would follow Jesus. And so we're going to look at those miracles and we're going to focus on them, not just look at the miracles, but understand who's behind the miracle and why is he doing what he's doing. Now, John does something interesting. He uses the word sign instead of miracle. And the reason why is he's trying to say that each one of these signs is pointing to something else. It's pointing to something bigger. And so as we look at it, we're going to do two things over the next month. We're going to look at the miracle and we're going to look through the miracle and try to understand at a deeper level what he's trying to get at. But each of these miracles remind us about something. That apart from Jesus, our life is empty and powerless and blind and dead. And as we'll see today, what happens is when we follow Jesus, he turns our emptiness into overflowing joy, as we'll see in the weeks to come. That he, he frees us from where we're stuck and paralyzed. That he gives vision where we're blind and he raises us from death to life. So the first miracle though, uh, if I were to take a poll here and just, if you, if you didn't have any background enough, I said, you know, try to guess what would be the first miracle. We might imagine it being something pretty spectacular, right? You think of miracles, you think of spectacular. The very first miracle that Jesus ever performed took place at a wedding and it's fascinating. Now, I've, I've done over 200 weddings in my, my lifetime. I, I've uh, been a pastor for 25 years, about, uh, about 200-something weddings. Um, I, have, I have done them everywhere. I've done them in churches, forests, backyards, parks, uh, hockey rinks, golf courses, uh, beaches, like you name it. I have, I, I've been everywhere uh, to do a wedding. I feel like I've seen everything, including my own wedding miracle. Uh, so when you do a wedding outside, typically, uh, you, you know, some people like to have a, a ceremony called the sand ceremony. And the sand ceremony is, uh, you, you really can't use candles or anything outside because of the wind. And so the sand ceremony is where you take uh, these two vases of sand and you pour them together at the same time after the vows. It's symbolic of these two lives being blended together, inseparable. Uh, and so I was doing a wedding in a backyard with uh, two friends. 
and so we, we had this, uh, the sand ceremony all set up. It was beautifully uh, uh, decorated on this little table right behind me. Uh, so all the guys came out. I got in my position. I was standing in my spot. And the processional begins. All the girls are coming down. And then the bride comes down. And it, it, I mean, it stirs my heart every time. I can only imagine what it feels like for the groom. And so you're looking. And I don't, do you guys, have you figured out? This is what you should be doing at a wedding. You look at the bride. You look at the groom. Then you look at the bride, then you look at the groom, because it's pretty fun to watch the groom's expression as well, because he's the, the big tough guy, like the chin is trembling, and he's trying to hold it in. And so this is what's happening, is the groom is like trembling, he's, he's crying, and he's chewing gum at the same time. And so I, 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 while everyone's eyes shift to the bride, I reach my hand out and say, spit your gum into my hand. He does. And so I go like this to turn and throw it while no one's looking. As I turn, I go boop, and I hit the table, and the bass goes push. And I'm like, no. <laughs> so have you, I don't know if you've ever, so I turn around, and all I see is the bride. She's coming down. Now she's crying, and all I can think in my head is she's the only one who saw that happen. And she's thinking, way to go, Bill. You ruined my perfect day. And so I, I don't know if you've ever had this happen before where you're, you're, you're talking, but your brain is going 1,000 miles an hour trying to solve a problem that you're going to have to deal with in 12 minutes. That's what's happening. So I'm walking them through the ceremony, these last things. So they're coming up. I do the giving away, come forward. Okay, let's pray. And I'm like, oh, Jesus, how we need you today. Like, I'm, I don't know how it's going to work out. And I, I get through the prayer, kind of stalling, stalling, trying to, I'm trying to figure out what I'm going to do. Say amen. I turn to go get my place. And there, there's the vase. All perfect again, standing there. And I'm like, thank you, Jesus. I don't know how, thank you. That, I, if that's my one miracle to cash in, then I'll take it. Like, I needed it right there. And so the wedding goes through. Everything's great. And at the end, I, I, I didn't know what to say. I didn't know who to talk to about it. So finally, I was, I was super embarrassed by the whole thing. But I, I, I thought this was pretty awesome. I didn't know what happened. So I turned to the family and I said, man, did you see what happened? I turned, I knocked the thing off, and then the base is there. And that's when they let me in on the miracle. Uh, at, at when, that, when I had hit the table, someone else was watching, the, the groom's mom and uh, the, the sister-in-law. And so she ran into the house. While I'm praying, she ran into the house, got the backup vase, ran it back out, put it on the thing, and it was there. Now, I don't care how the miracle happened. I'm just glad that it did. Jesus also did his first miracle at a wedding, and it came because someone made a big mistake. And the result, though, uh, it, it was quite spectacular. And so what I want you to see this morning is this, is that we see Jesus revealing a glimpse of his power and his glory to change physical elements of water into wine. But something bigger is at play here. Uh, what we really see is Jesus' ability and his power to change a life. This is what this miracle ultimately is about. And so what we see in this is the bounding, joyous uh, uh, story of what Christ can do in us. And so again, let's look not just at the miracle, let's look through the miracle. So here's our big idea. If you're taking notes, there's a, a spot inside your bulletin. Or if you didn't get a chance, I'll tell you more about this in a minute. We have new life journals. We want you to go ahead and grab one uh, on your way out today. You can use the note page in there. But our big idea is this, is that following Jesus turns our emptiness into joy. 
following Jesus turns our emptiness into joy. What I, what I want you to see is that John is pressing through this story to, see, to show you something. That if you will believe in him, if you will trust him, if you'll follow him, he too will meet you in your emptiness. And he will fill your life with his joy. He meets us in our trouble, our shame, and instead he replaces that with the abundancy of his joy. This is what his kingdom is about. It is about abundant joy. So let me invite you to turn to John chapter 2. John chapter 2 and verses 1 to 12 is this incredible story. So while you're turning there, let me just set it up for you a little bit. Uh, There's Bibles in front of you, page 1063. So the context of this is a wedding in first century Israel, uh, Palestine. Uh, uh, you got to think about uh, what it'd be like to be at a wedding in Cana where this takes place versus uh, the wedding that you might experience here in Huntington Beach. But typically what you would have in that time is you would have a family would arrange the marriage. You would have a, a betrothal period. You would have the, the bride and the groom, they'd come to the synagogue. They would exchange vows. There was a contract that was drawn up. They would exchange tokens. Uh, so there would be a legal contract, and then they would go back to their separate homes for a waiting period. Now, uh, this, is, this explains, if you think about Christmas time, Mary and Joseph, are, in fact, are in this period when she finds out that she's going to, to be pregnant with Jesus. Uh, and so this is that period. That waiting period could be anywhere from two months to 12 months long. But when the waiting period ended... Typically, it would be at a nighttime, the groom and his friends would leave his house, and they would begin to parade through the streets. Everyone in, their, in the uh, village would kind of come out, and they would join in the procession. They, everybody was excited. And so it was like this building celebration as they went. They took kind of like the longest route. They, they come to the bride's home. They, they'd get her. They put a canopy up. They oftentimes had torches lit, and, and, and they were just singing and shouting and celebrating. And all the guests that had been uh, invited, they'd come. There was a celebration, uh, uh, a feast, and a party that would not just last hours, that would last days. This would often take a whole week to celebrate. Um, you got to think about it this way. In these poor villages, this was probably for many of the families, this was the celebration of a lifetime. And so they celebrated. They celebrated all week long. So with that uh, understanding in mind, uh, let's look at this story and and, uh, understand the problem and understand how Jesus addresses the problem. It says, On the third day, a wedding took place in Cana of Galilee, and Jesus' mother was there. And Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, They have had no more wine. Woman, why do you involve me, Jesus replied. My hour has not yet come. His mother said to his servants, do whatever he tells you. Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. And Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. And so they filled them to the brim. And then he told them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. They did so. And the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He did not realize where it had come from, though the servants had drawn the water new. And then he called the the bridegroom aside. He said, everyone brings out the choice wine first, and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. But you have saved the best till now. And what Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory. And his disciples believed in him. 
He went down to Capernaum with his mother and brothers and his disciples, and there they stayed for a few days. Well, a crazy story. Let's jump into it a little bit. The first thing that you've got to see to understand the story that is that if you need a miracle, you're in trouble. You're in trouble. Running out of wine was not just inconvenient. This was a social uh, disaster. This was social disgrace. So uh, the, the family would have to live with the shame of this. And in a shame culture, this would be something that would be very hard to out, outlive and, and outdo. And if you're the married couple, you would think right away, this is a sign of bad luck for the beginning of our marriage. Wine was essential for a wedding, not so that the, the guests could drink to excess, but because Wine in, again, let's enter into this, this context. Wine for, the, for a, a Jewish person is a symbol of joy. And so for there to be wine, it was a symbol that there was joy there. In fact, rabbis had a contemporary saying, without wine, there is no joy. Uh, in fact, even this, that if they, because they ran out of wine and because they didn't provide the wine, that people in the town actually could bring a lawsuit against them. It was that big a deal. And so if a wedding feast is going to last seven days and you're at day three and you're out of wine, then there is a big problem. Now, we don't know why the wine ran out. We don't know if they just, it was poor planning. We know that Jesus brought his disciples, so instead of plus one, he went plus five. We don't know if those guys started drinking up a little too much. We don't know why. But we just know this, that the wine ran out. And I don't know for you, but like those newlyweds, this, this is a part of that story where we have to look at it and look through it and see this, that like these newlyweds, you and I are going to have times in our lives where the wine runs out where the joy is gone, and, and our life feels empty. Some of you are there uh, even this morning. You know, as we look at this, we, we realize that for some of us, we, we feel this sense of emptiness, this loss of joy. Maybe for you, it's in your career. Uh, you jumped into a job. It was a placeholder for, a, you know, a couple years until you could really find your calling in life. Uh, but now it's been uh, years or decades, and, and you are, are stuck in, in something that you're doing that you don't love. Every Monday is a countdown to Friday. And all you can say is, I have no joy in my career. For others of us, it may be uh, our marriage. And, and we feel the emptiness of that relationship, the, the loss of joy. You think of in some way what, what was once filled with passion and delight is now empty and dry. And your existence together feels like a chore instead of what it once was. This partnership that was, that was filled, that was joy filled from the very beginning. For some of us it's just getting up and getting through the day. You can't put your finger on any one thing. But you feel numb, you feel empty. And you just know this, I just, I don't feel joy anymore. And for some of us, it's our faith. Our, our faith has been replaced with joyless religion. You, maybe you come out of duty, out of obligation to family or someone else. You, you come because you have to, not because there's joy in it. Not because there's joy in knowing God. And maybe you even feel like how David prayed in Psalm 51 where he's praying because of some sin in his life, he prayed, you know, that God would bring back the joy of his salvation. But one of the first things we see is how good it is to recognize our struggle. And here's the second thing, though. 
not just see in our struggle, not just identify it, but identify your problem and get Jesus involved. Identify your problem and get Jesus involved. Now Mary, Jesus' mom, seems to have some kind of role in this wedding. Maybe it's family or a close friend. But she at least has a very keen awareness of what's wrong. And she seems to have some kind of authority of what can be done. And so she, she knows about the problem. Uh, Jesus and his disciples are sitting there. They're enjoying everything. And she comes to Jesus and she makes Jesus aware of the problem. And we can almost translate Mary's words this way. They have no more joy. At the precious time when their life should be filled, everything was about to run out. And the shame and the guilt and every trouble that was going to come was about to, to rush in. And so Mary turns to Jesus. And even though she didn't know really what Jesus was going to do, she got him into the, the situation. She turned to him. Now what's interesting, and I think what's incredibly comforting, is that Jesus makes her problem his problem. Now it's really important that you understand Jesus' response. It sounds very harsh to our English ears. So, so guys, I do not want you responding to your wife or your mom or your girlfriend with, woman, what does this have to do with me, okay? If you do that, you deserve whatever you get coming next, okay? So you hear this and you think of your sitcom kind of response. This is not what that is. In fact, this is actually a term of respect. It's a term of endearment. It's the same term that Jesus uses when he is saying to his friend John, John, he says to, to him to take care of Mary. Mary, uh, John will take care of you. It's, it's a very important uh, uh, way of, of respecting her. It's the same way that uh, uh, Homer referred to his beloved wife, uh, the Roman emperor referred to Cleopatra. So don't, so look past it. Don't, don't get caught up in that Jesus is being chauvinist in any way. But Mary's hinting at Jesus. She knows Jesus better than anyone that's there. And she says to Jesus, she's maybe now, is a, is, she's hinting at maybe now is a good time for you to reveal your glory. And he's, he's pressing with her. And really, if we think about what he's saying, he's saying to her, don't worry. You don't understand what's going on. Leave it to me, and I will settle it in my own way. I'm doing something bigger here. And Mary understands it enough that her resp response, notice her response, and these are maybe the most important words that we, we will pull from today. Do whatever he says. Do whatever he says. The moment this miracle has this transformation moment is upon these words. Do whatever he says. He knows how to handle this. And Jesus does something quite fascinating. He noticed there's six water pots. They were used, it's described for ceremonial cleansing. So uh, we've told you before how these, uh, there was uh, the practice of foot washing. If you walk it around in sandals on dry dirt and, and if there was mud, uh, they would pull the water from this. It would be used for foot washing. But it was also used for a ceremonial hand washing. This was a ritual. It was a tradition. It wasn't required by law. It wasn't anything that you had to do. But just to make sure, in case you came in contact with something or someone unclean, you went through this ceremonial hand washing, washing up and washing down. It was kind of this, this kind of ritual that said that I'm clean because I washed my hands. In fact, Jesus and his disciples were critiqued because they didn't do that. And Jesus had to explain, that's not what makes you clean or not clean. It's what comes out of your heart that makes you clean or not clean. And so he had to, he'll correct this, we'll see, in, in other places. But this, this ritual, this symbol of how they thought you would be right with God, Jesus takes that moment and he transforms it. He has those, those jars, each 20 to 30 gallons, filled to the brim. 
And then he calls the, the servants to come to draw from it and then take it over to the, the head servant, to the master of the ceremonies. Now, uh, the best way to describe the master is imagine your DJ and your wedding coordinator uh, coming together and doing the same uh, together in one job. So uh, the job of the master of ceremonies is to keep the party going, uh, making sure that everyone is, is okay and, and that the party is going. And then on top of that, making sure that all the details, where people sit, the water and wine ratio is right, all those things are coming together. And so every piece of this is working on. But did you notice this, that when he, he brings that out, the, the first thing that the master does is he calls the groom over, and he says, bro, you've been holding out on us. Everyone waits till the end and brings out the cheap stuff, right, and tries to hide the cheap stuff. stuff. You brought out the best uh, for this point. And so all the credit of the miracle goes to the head of the, the, the head uh, servant, the master, and to the groom. No one knows that Jesus has done it, and Jesus kind of keeps it on the hush. Uh, and this, the, only a couple servants and his disciples. And he, he's giving this, he's, he's given a glimpse of his glory for them. And don't you love, in some ways, what's happening? If we look at this, look at the bigger picture. Here we have a wedding. It's something of earth, it's primal, it's basic. But what does Jesus do? He attends, he participates. And when disaster comes, he, he enters in and he, he averts disaster and he supplies the joy. And it, it, don't you love, so we're doing a series on miracles and looking at the miracles of Jesus, but don't you love the very first miracle that Jesus does is not the saving of a life, but the saving of face. Uh, that Jesus enters into a moment where people would experience guilt and shame and he's there, he's in this most basic moment with them. And, and he meets them in that place. In some ways, what we come to love about Jesus is this, is that he is strong enough and big enough, as we'll see, and powerful enough for the biggest things in our life, but also that he cares about the smallest things in our life as well. Those things become a big deal to us. I love how this was illustrated in a story I got to hear of. A, she's a, a director, a woman who's a director of the Birmingham uh, Dr uh, Dream Center, uh, cares for the homeless in, in Alabama, She's about walking out her front door and she feels this prompting on her heart to go back inside and grab a pair of woolly socks. You know, of all the things that God's going to impress upon your heart, woolly socks probably isn't something that many of you have felt a, 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 a burning inside, have you? But she feels that she can't kind of, she can't feel, feels like she can't leave the house unless she grabs some woolly socks. So she runs back upstairs, she grabs the socks, stuffs them in the purse, gets on the bus, heads off to work. She arrives at her at the front door of the Dream Center, and there, passed out on the porch, is this prostitute, this young woman. She opens the door, she carries her in, she waits till she regains consciousness, and she says, you know, young woman, what can I do for you? If there's anything I could get for you, what could I get for you? And the, the young woman simply says these words, I could really use some woolly socks right now. She reaches into her bag. She pulls them out thinking, Jesus, you're just crazy. And she hands, it, hands them to the, to the woman, and the woman says, wow, they even match my outfit. I mean, don't you love those kind of stories, those kind of moments? That it, it draws us into this first miracle that, that he, is, he is big enough to handle our biggest things, but he's intimate enough to handle even the smallest things uh, that seem to us. And this is one of the reasons why we're encouraging you to grab a life journal on your way out if you didn't get one, but we, we want you to spend time each week thinking about listening to God's voice in your own life. And so every week we, we encourage you to spend time. You'll, there's instructions on how to do something called SOAP, 
It's how it takes you through the passage that we're going to talk about on Sunday. All the passages are listed on, our, on beachpoint.com. Next week it's John 5. And so we'll encourage you to read John 5, 1 to 15. Think about it. See if God's pressing anything upon you. Uh, but, but we don't want to miss those prompts, do we? We want to be ready. If God wants to use us and the lives of people to, for these miraculous things, we want that to happen. And John has already revealed in chapter 1 that Jesus is God in the flesh. And now he's showing that, that, that something bigger. These rituals are not the things that are going to bring life. Jesus is the one who brings life. And this very first miracle takes place in a wedding. And he's foreshadowing what's going to happen uh, at one point in, in the future, uh, the coming of Jesus. See, at the end of this one day when Jesus' kingdom is in its fullness, it's described as, like, as a wedding celebration. Revelation 21 says it this way. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. And there was no longer any sea, and I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be their God. And he will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. As Jesus kept that party going, he's pointing to a party that is to come, that will go and will never end. Here's the final thing I want us to see, though. The final thing that I think John is challenging us with is this, is that Jesus can be your guest or he can be in charge. Jesus can be the guest of your life. He can, he can be a, 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 a spectator at what's going on. Or you can turn to him and invite him to be in charge. And one of the things that we see in this uh, passage is fascinating is that it's just as important what Mary did not do as what she did do. She went to Jesus. She got him involved. But did you notice the way that she yielded to his will? Ask for anything but be willing to yield everything. Ask for anything from him, but be willing to yield everything. Do whatever he says. Follow him on his terms, not yours. This is the moment that the passage changes. This is the moment the miracle comes. And, and I want to ask you the, the, the same question. Would you be willing to follow him on his terms? Are you willing to do whatever he says? Would you leave your job? Would you sell your home? Would you end something? Would you start something? Would you have the courage to stay? He said stay. Would you have the courage to go if he asked you to go? Will you follow him on his terms? Will you do whatever he says? Because when they did what he says, he, he did exceedingly, abundantly beyond what they thought he was going to do. I don't think this is what Mary thought was going to happen. Now, before you decide whether or not you could take Jesus on that way, if you could, you could commit yourself that radically to him, let me just draw you back in the story to see something that I think is so important that we miss especially as adults, and I don't want you to lose what you guys have, okay? So here's what, can I just remind you of the setting of this? This is a wedding, 
and a party, but not just any wedding and any party. This is a Jewish wedding and a Jewish party. Have you ever been to a Jewish wedding? You ever been to a Jewish party? Man, it is crazy. Uh, so I was best man in a, in a Jewish wedding, and I, it was probably the most fun of a, of a wedding celebration I've, as I've ever been to. Talk about a celebration that just kept going on and on. The best part was when uh, I think I, I saw the bride and the groom. They got in the chairs. Then when my mom was in a chair, they're dancing around. I was like, okay, this will never happen at Beach Point. Like, we just don't have this down yet. But just the celebration that just went on and on, there's something to this. So did you notice what happened when the wine ran out? When the wine ran out, Jesus rushed in and goes, perfect timing. Everybody sit down. Open your Bibles now to Leviticus 4. I have some things to teach you. That's not what he did, did he? No. What did Jesus do? Jesus kept the party going. And you and I have this, I, I think we have this idea that, it, it, that when we follow him at his, at, on his terms, that's when the joy ends. But at least we won't go to hell, right? Because that's where all the people that are experiencing joy are going to wind up. They'll get their joy now, but later, right? That's how, that's how you're thinking, right? I'm going to give up joy, but I go to heaven, which sounds... And people make jokes about this. We have it all wrong. Okay? What, Jesus, what, what is John saying? That his kingdom is a party, and when you come and you give yourself fully to him, he will take your emptiness, and he will fill you with his life. And this, this joy is abounding. It's not just the quantity. Can you imagine trying to drink 180 gallons of wine? Okay? Even a frat party couldn't take care of all that. Okay? It's not just the quantity, it's the quality of what he does as well. It's the best that anyone can have. Do you see what he's trying to say? And I think for some of us, we have missed this idea. I love going to, to uh, see our kids at camp. And I love uh, the fact that they've actually made rules about our kids can't sing a certain song at camp because we, we break chairs and we get a little too excited. So there's actually a camp rule. And so th- we'll, our students will go up to the band and say, can you play this song at camp? And the band will say, oh, we're not allowed to play that song. I don't know why, but they said we're not allowed. And our students get a little rambunctious, and I like it. I like that they do that. But I hate the idea that, they, that there, there'd be a thought that they'd have to graduate away from that and now enter into the adult world where we just do life. We do the duty of faith. If you are missing out on the joy of faith, Maybe we're not following Jesus the way that he intends for us. Maybe we're not, we're not diving in all the way with him. Maybe we're not letting this, we're not, we're not taking it on his terms instead of ours. And so I want to give you a response this morning. I think what John is getting at is he's challenging us. Remember, he began, well, he began looking at, we started with the end, but what John is after is this, is that you would believe, that you would follow, that you'd trust Jesus. And so here's the response today. Is follow Jesus and do what he says. Do what he says. Do whatever he says. Take those four words this week and let it burn in your heart. Follow him and do whatever he says. I, I, I think what's so exciting in this is, friends, don't chase miracles. Uh, miracles, if you chase the stuff, you, you, you'll miss it. But here's the thing you'll find. If you follow Jesus long enough, you will experience the miracles. Don't chase the miracles. You'll miss the miracle maker. But follow Jesus and you will experience miracles. You will experience the fun that comes with that, the abundance of life that comes from that. If God can do this with water, what can he do with you? What can he do with your life?
Now, before you think about how, how deep a commitment this is and how, how much uh, sacrifice maybe it sounds like this, this requires, let me just invite you before you respond to think about something. And we're going to close this way. Uh, in, in a moment, our ushers are going are gonna to pass to you uh, a tray. And in the tray is a, are two cups uh, together, a piece of bread and, a, and, a, and some juice. And it's there to, for us to celebrate something we call communion or, or uh, the Lord's Supper. Uh, Jesus, on the last night of his life, gave his life. He, gave, he, he uh, shared that uh, as he passed this bread, he said, eat this bread and remember me. He passed a cup. He said, drink this cup and remember me. This cup represents my body. This, this, uh, or this uh, bread represents my body. This cup represents my blood. And when you take these elements into your hand, place them in that little cup holder in front of you and take a second and just think about this. Am I willing to follow Jesus and do whatever he says? I just want you to remember, before you think about what it would take for you to be committed in this way, you can't do it apart from his help, but do you see his commitment to you? I want you to feel his commitment to you. Jesus entered into this world, John says, the word became flesh, he dwelt among us, he entered into our neighborhood, he took our life on, he took our sin upon himself, he gave himself as our sacrifice. And I love this, one of the things that happens in this passage is this, there's this little tease in it. And so in in the chapter before, uh, Jesus is introduced as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. But I don't know if you notice, on, on the, the passage began with these words, on the third day, and then this miracle happens, this joy comes. And it's like John's got us on this treasure hunt. And we're seeing these little signs of things that he wants us to see. Because see, Jesus, on that good Friday, he went to the cross, he bore your sin, and he gave his life. But on the third day, he rose again. And, and when we come together and we take these elements, uh, the scriptures say this, Eat this bread and drink this cup to proclaim his death until he comes again. We don't celebrate a memory of him. We celebrate that he is alive, that he is returning, that he is coming again. And so I want you to know when you think about committing yourself radically to him in this way, in some ways he is well, he's way before you on this. And so enjoy what it is that he's done for you. And so I just want to invite you to this. I love this. I love these words. When he was passing the cup, he said this. He says, after taking the cup, he gave thanks and said, take this and divide it among you. For I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. Did you catch that? I'm going to drink this again, but I'm waiting until the big party. I'm waiting until the big celebration. I'm waiting until that time comes. But until then, he says, take this, remember me. Hold on, guys. Hold on. Stay with me. Because that day is coming Friends, if you have not committed to following Jesus this morning, I, I want to encourage you. And I'm going to give you a moment of silence. Uh, when no, that cup comes by, stick it in front of you. You decide. Are you ready this morning to commit to him? Scriptures just simply say, turn from the way you're going. Turn to him. Put your faith in him. Let him know that your, your intention. Jesus, today I want to follow you. I want to become your follower. And he will rush into your life. He will wipe away your sins. He will fill you with his spirit. And then take this cup, take this bread, remember what he's done. And so let's pray. As you take a moment, just think quietly. If you want to begin to follow Jesus this morning, just tell him that. Say, Jesus, Lord Jesus, I want to begin today to follow you. Lord, we pray 
that in this time we might not just remember your commitment to us, um, but we just might remember uh, the joy that you want for our lives. In whatever ways that we have been doing life with you on our own terms, Lord, I pray that you would help us by your spirit and your grace and mercy just to surrender those things, those, those ways that we've seized control. Because we, we believe that in you, uh, we find our emptiness turned into joy. And so bless this time, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. When you're ready, eat, drink, and remember him. <laughs>